That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Okay, and welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. David Miller. And I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And you are being interviewed today. I am host and guest today. She's she's host and guest. It's a very exciting day because uh, normally we interview other awesome naturopaths and other awesome uh, uh, doctors and healthcare practitioners, but today um, we just have to accept that Kara is a bit of an expert in women's health, broadly. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, and uh, it's really important, uh, I think, that we talk about heavy periods. And that's that's the topic for today. Um, yeah, I'm nervous. Our other guests have set such a high bar. They have. Yeah. But it might be a little, it might be a little bit of fun. This is a little different than usual, so we'll yeah, have a lot of fun. Yeah, we're, we're good at jamming. Okay, t- tell us a little, like, well, we know, we know about you because you're obviously a co-host of this awesome podcast, and you're a great clinician. And you run your own clinic and all that. So we won't bother people too much with the intro that way. But yeah. tell maybe, so tell people why when I said, hey, Kara, how would I interview you for something with women's health? Why did you pick uh, this topic? Yeah, it was pretty quick, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So heavy periods. Um, I think there's probably two reasons why I chose this. One is more apparent as I see lots of women who come into my practice and a good majority of the women who are coming in for specifically menstrual health issues, uh, there's a high percentage who are really, really struggling with heavy periods um, to the point where they're sitting in the chair that you're sitting in right now and are really actually quite distressed, really upset. They're, they can't find uh, answers um, or they're not happy with the answers that have been provided, but they're really struggling like every month or even more. Um, it's affecting their quality of life. It feels out of control. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's a really impactful thing to a woman's life when heavy periods are kind of ruling one week of the month. How many, like how many people or what proportion of women would you say are having problems with heavy periods? Yeah, so there's actually some good stats on this. Um, and I would say I agree from what I'm seeing in my, my practice. I think it's one of the top three reasons women go to their gynecologist. Um, about 20% of teenagers, that's a pretty big population um, of, of women who have heavy periods. And then also getting closer to me- menopause in those menopause years, the mm-hmm. hormone changes that occur around that time are another pretty big uh, time for heavy periods. So about 50% of people... Uh, of women aged 40 to 59 um, have heavy periods. So that's a pretty significant um, 
you know, population of women mm-hmm. who, you know, and it's not just, you know, heavy periods is the acute thing, you know, where they're really uncomfortable. They might not be able to leave their house. It's that heavy. Uh, they're losing a lot of blood. So they're getting very tired and iron deficient. And, you know, women need their iron, their iron, as, as we talked about in episode two, um, to do all the awesome things they're doing. And so that's a pretty big, like direct effect of heavy periods. And then, um, and then, yeah, it's, it's also, there's a, it brings up a whole bunch of other things just about menstrual cycles in general and, uh, kind of, we can keep going wider and wider out on kind yeah. of the more society and historical effects of, of how women are, are viewing their periods or experiencing their periods. Yeah. So what's, what do you think is like the main trouble? obviously like a heavy period in itself is, is troublesome, but like, what are the ways in which in day-to-day life of a woman, um, heavy periods are most, uh, mind numbing, crazy making, like, obviously like we, we know as the healthcare practitioners, we know that there, there's all these other health effects of, of it or that are leading to it. But from the person who's just like, like you said, you can't really avoid the, uh, symptom. Right. It's like, oh, my God, that's a really heavy period. I can't do X, Y, Z. I'm limited in these ways. What are those ways that women may see day to day that it limits them? Um, I think, you know, a lot of women, it's it's uh, heavy enough that it's it's changing what they're doing in their day. Um, You know, they might be avoiding certain situations or, you know, can't get through a meeting or can't get through, you know, Uh, maybe at work they only have certain breaks, but they can't make it that long. Um, So just from a practical standpoint, um, you know, when you're worried about leaving your house, um, that, you know, all your backup and backup pads and systems and cups that, you know, maybe they're doubling up or tripling up, you know, that that's a problem. I think it also speaks to the inherent problem of menstrual cycles. uh, And we can, we can get to that as well. Um, you know, the, the modern woman's experience of menstrual cycles, uh, I think we might need to shift some thoughts on that as well. Versus um, the red tent days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be a time where, you know, historically we, women have always, you know, honored the time of their menstrual cycle as a time to rest, you know, a time to go inward, a time to replenish. Um, and you know, Often. And communion is there? Was there communion? Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, you know, uh, like communion among among women, um, um, like yeah, woman to woman communion. For sure. Yeah. yeah, and kind of sharing in that. I really do think it, it, it in historically and spiritually, and even in many religions, traditionally, you know, periods have been a very uh, sacred and spiritual uh, time. And you know, when you when you all of a sudden become a modern woman and we're trying to hide it, you know, you know, we're, you know, trying to go on with our regular life with all of the things that we're adding to that, um, all the things, the kids, the jobs, all of that. And, you know, it's something that just becomes a nuisance. Um, and at least a nuisance, it sounds like. At least a nuisance. At least a nuisance. you still got to keep being super mom. You're still going to work. You're still probably the head of the house in terms of decision making about health and Mm -hmm. traditionally like there's you know there's outliers always but like your job as a woman and your job as a woman with a job yeah doesn't really say okay take a week off no it doesn't say that and i'm not suggesting that we can 
um, I do think we can build it in because there's a big problem when you are trying to hide or suppress or not acknowledge a really important part of what makes you a woman, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's the, that the menstrual cycle is what gives life, right? And so just to pass it off and try to continue as normal and, or even, you know, a lot of the women I talk to hate their menstrual cycles. They hate their periods. They want nothing to do with it. They want it to go away. The amount of women I hear, whether I'm talking in groups or uh, with my patients one-on-one that say, I hate my period. I just can't wait for menopause to come. Mm-hmm. Doesn't and, seem, there's something about that that seems... Um... Again, I'm just coming from the perspective of a male who's never had a period. But it's just something about that as a believer in like, um, you know, natural laws and nature uh, phenomena. It just seems like something not entirely healthy about hating your period. It makes me so sad, right? It's, it's, and I'm not saying it's this wonderful, magical thing and we can frolic in the woods during our period and, you mm-hmm. know, under the, under the new moon, um, you know, I, I, I realize, you know, that's not going to be everyone's experience. Um, but when you, when you repress a really inherent part of yourself, whether it's, you know, your sexuality or your gender or, you know, your role in society, whatever it is, anything you're suppressing that's not a good thing and it's going to come out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it makes me sad too because that means there's a lot of women out there really struggling with their periods, struggling with heavy periods and not finding help. What are the other, um, so if someone has um, heavy periods, what are the other things you're, you're expecting to see them also like suffering with? Mm-hmm. Um well, acutely the heavy period, but that's just a symptom, right? So the heavy mm-hmm. period is a symptom of the rest of the cycle, right? It's a symptom of, you know, we we wonder, are you ovulating in that cycle, which is a key component to healthy periods. What um, does ovulating mean to some people? Who ovulating. <laughs> uh, so releasing an egg. Yeah. So that egg that releases mid-cycle is, uh, you know, there uh, to, you know, create life it, if it should happen to... Uh, intercept with a sperm uh but if not it still has a really important function in health in women's health it's actually i would say if there's one thing that we can do as women to protect health it's to have lots of ovulatory cycles in our lifetime and uh, that egg releases progesterone that progesterone uh balances off that kind of uh, sexier hormone estrogen who can get a little bit high on her throne. So we need that progesterone produced from the egg. Um, we need ovulation for protecting heart disease, for protecting uh, for our bone health long-term. Um, and it's a really awesome thing to ovulate. There's, so there's great things about just how you can feel at ovulation too. And so um, from a medical standpoint, ovulation is kind of a keystone of the whole menstrual cycle. Um, it but, almost sounds like a like a like a linear prerequisite for a healthy period. It is right. So yes. so then if we don't have ovulate, you know, this is just male again, just a male talking, but uh, An educated male. Yeah, but it's like okay. So if I don't if I don't ovulate properly, then all the things that depend on ovulation don't happen properly. So you know how I believe in like hierarchies and you know yeah. like uh, yeah. things have to be sort of 
done in an order, whether you like it or not. For sure. They do. So how do we, maybe maybe how do we um, encourage, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a big topic, but how do we encourage healthy ovulation? So yeah, it's a, it's, you can keep going back and back, right? Because uh, healthy periods require healthy ovulation and healthy ovulation I think if you want to take it back pretty big picture, uh, your body is not going to ovulate if it doesn't think it's safe to make a baby. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the big picture. There are a lot of things that will influence that. So the first half of the cycle then has to be healthy in order to have, you know, the hormonal cascade, you know, the brain signal FSH, you know, leads to. Uh, the signal in the ovary, um, making estrogen, developing follicles, and then triggering um, another hormone to release the egg. So there's a huge cascade of events that have to happen there. And so if we're not getting, um, if, if the health of any part of those is compromised, then we have compromised ovulation. Um, we know that things like even just in general health, so um, high blood sugar levels, insulin resistance, um, uh, oxidative stress, the ovary is very, very um, susceptible to, um, you know, blood sugar, um, inflammation, oxidative stress. So, you know, going back to our root principles, you know, NMRX, nourishing, moving, relaxing, um, all of those things. That's yeah. what X is, yeah. And give a <laughs> shit, yeah. Um, are really important for, for that keystone thing in the cycle, which is ovulation. And that's why we see heavier periods and other types of menstrual cycle issues more in teenagers and also leading up to menopause um, because those are two times uh, for different reasons that um, ovulation might not be happening every single month. Okay, one thing you taught me this morning, which I thought was really cool, is that uh, at men are, uh, yeah, like well, how old? How old are kids having? How old are young girls having their periods? It's pretty young. It yeah. seems it seems really young. Yeah. Like I have a couple of patients that are around that age, and they just look like little, you know, such know. little humans. <laughs> yeah. And they're having their period. But uh, what was really cool is that those those young little humans are actually um, sometimes not ovulating when they have their period at first. Can you explain yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. That um, so in teenagers, as they're starting their periods, their their bodies just you know, it's just getting in the rhythm so that, uh, there's a, a, you know, an HPO axis. So an axis between the brain and the ovaries and this cascade of events that has to happen, uh, to lead to a regular menstrual cycle and lead to ovulation. That axis is a little immature in, in adolescence. It's maybe just not got the hang of, or, or got the rhythm yet. And so some of those cycles end up being, um, anovulatory or that they don't actually, ovulate or release an egg and so when you do when you don't have the ovulation we'll talk a bit more about estrogen progesterone later um, it can lead to heavier or more irregular periods and that's a really common problem in teenagers um, it's probably one of the reasons why female teenagers end up at their doctor's office and fortunately unfortunately the solution to that is often the birth control pill um, and Which we didn't really know exactly. I think you looked into it uh, more extensively to see how it works because um, that was sort of interesting. Like I thought it was going to be like in a hormonal feedback effect. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. But do you want to do you want to tell us all how the birth control pill works in heavy periods? Well, I was yeah, I was confused too because I'm like, well, you don't actually ovulate then when you're put on the birth control pill. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so I'm like, how does that work to, to lighten periods? It would make sense that it makes it more regular. Um, and the periods you get on birth control are actually not menstrual, menstrual periods. They're actually called withdrawal bleeds um, because you need ovulation to have a period. Um, and, but what it's looking like is the, the estrogen that's in the birth control pill increases um, blood clotting. And so it kind of stops the heavy flow. That was so weird to learn, but it goes along with the fact that there are increased uh, risk of stroke with use of uh, oral contraceptive. Sure. Right. And you know, I mean, teen pregnancy is a huge deal, right? And if that's the best choice for teenagers, um, then that's okay. Um, but if the birth control pill is prescribed solely for heavy periods, then we have a problem, right? Because all of a sudden we have a teenager a young teenager whose body is just getting the hang of ovulating, maybe he's only had a few ovulatory cycles, is put on the birth control pill and then maybe stays on it through university or through late teens. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, is married, wants to have children. Um, and not that the studies show that it does impact fertility, but I do think it's a problem that that woman has not really had an ovulation, which as I was talking about the key health benefits of ovulating, she hasn't had ovulation for basically her whole life when you know she's possibly could have had 15 years of ovulation um does she have more eggs then um i mean it's kind of a drop in the bucket when you're talking about like right you know billions to forty thousand to i can't remember the numbers right. exactly but yeah um okay so they're just sort of learning how the body's just sort of learning how to react to other things going on. So is it is it possible then to say that probably uh, young girls having uh, their first periods are going to be heavier, like just because they don't have the ovulation happening? Are they generally Often. heavier? Yep. Okay. And that I mean, that's that's my experience and the experience of the teens I see. Mm -hmm. They are also quite painful. That would be the other the other issue, which is a whole other podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. What would you tell like a mom who was talking to her daughter about that time of life where, you know, these things start to happen? What would you say would be a good thing to know? Because I'm, I'm learning already from you that um, there's some things we should probably know to talk to young girls about. What would you say is a good thing to tell them? Yeah, I would tell them, you know, even just explaining this is why it's happening. It's going to get better. Um, you know, it, it could take, you know, six months, a year, even two years. Um, but but her body is designed to get into that rhythm and it knows what to do. Um, and so, you know, it's not, a, it's not a pathology, right? It's not a medical problem. It's, it's a process, a natural process that just need, takes time to develop. Um, and so in the short time, we talk about... Um, you know, some ways to alleviate the flow or alleviate the pain. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll wait on getting to those treatments in a little bit. Okay, well, yeah. we, could, we could go to that now. Like, you, we could sort of separate things into like a short-term versus a long-term approach. Sure. Is that some, something? I think maybe before we go there, we should probably maybe just quickly define what heavy periods sure. are. Sure. Um, which is very difficult. And um, there's lots of different varying ideas, even in research, of how to define heavy menstrual periods. Um, and it's also very subjective, right? So when I'm sitting here and I ask a woman, how heavy are your periods? She has nothing to compare that to, right? She is heavy for her and she subjectively may feel like that's heavy. But then when I ask her, okay, well, how long in a, on your heaviest day during the day, how, how often do you have to change your pad? 
And she might say, oh, just once at lunchtime, right? And so I wouldn't consider that a heavy period. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other women might say, oh, they're not bad, you know, just every hour or so. Um, so it's a very subjective uh, thing. In research, the standard that we've been following for about 50 years is menstrual b- blood loss over 80 milliliters through the whole period. How do I know 80 milliliters? <laughs> yes, how do we know 80 milliliters? So um, where do I have... Um, so the, d- base, it depends on what uh, menstrual product you're using. Um, and now they're getting better and better. So I don't even know if this is true anymore. Um, but a standard... Because um, the research you have is, is older than... Right? Is that correct? Yeah. So that, that 80 milliliters came from like studies in Sweden and the UK about 50 years ago. And that was not even based on... They didn't measure volume. They measured the amount of hematin or like this marker of blood loss. Um, and so... But it's it's funny because it's been universally accepted in every research paper I've seen since. The definition is 80 milliliters. Um and I mean, to some women, that seems like a lot. To me, that sounds like nothing. And so, again, there's that subjectivity. I would say, you know, from a broad view, heavy menstrual cycles are one that are impacting your quality of life, that you are soaking through a pad maybe more than every hour, or you're needing to double up pads, or you can't get through the night, um, or it's restricting your activities. Like, uh, you know, I would go on more of a, uh, you know, patient reported this mm-hmm. is how i'm experiencing at point of view based versus let's measure over a period yeah exactly the volume now the volume is important though right because they did find that blood loss over 80 milliliters would um in most women cause iron deficiency and that's a huge problem right yep <laughs> unless you have hemochromatosis yeah and so uh just to try to get to that 80 mils um, the newer menstrual cups, which I highly recommend, by the way, um, they hold up to 30 mils. Is this the Diva cup? The Diva cup is one, but there's like, okay. t- like the only probably one I've heard of. <laughs> 50 different cups. Uh, I use one called Femi Cycle. You can ask me about that. It's pretty fantastic. When you t- dump it upside down, nothing falls out. It's got, I got a cup inside a cup. Um, so the, so the, the cup holds, and that's actually probably the easiest way to measure volume. Um, you know, you can say I used, you know, today I used, you know, two cups. Um, and so, and then one, but not ha- everyone's going to do that. Not everyone's <laughs> going to, again, which you is- would recommend it, but not everyone's going to do that. So is there a way of like with number of pads or tampons yeah. for, so, um, like are f- more conventional people to <laughs> sure a, a fully soaked super pad, um, is 10 mils. So like one of the heavier duty pads is 10 mils. A super tampon, I think, is about 12 to 15 mils. Um, and so you can you can judge it based on that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, clinic, like in practice, I just ask, you know, how frequently, what, what product you use and how frequently are you changing it and can you get through the night? And uh, that seems to be the easiest way to get an idea of, of heavy flow. Yeah, impact on their mm-hmm. on their life. Yeah. yeah. And you, also you... running iron panels and, and a ferritin level. What a great and idea. And adequate and, you know, <laughs> see, seeing, uh, seeing, you know, what the downstream, like immediate downstream effects might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this too, that that's a pretty vicious cycle that uh, heavy periods, iron loss, iron deficiency, thinner blood, heavier periods, 
Okay, repeat, repeat. That is repeat. so <laughs> worth repeating. Okay. Because a lot of the things that the body does are really like very intelligent and, you know, a smart system. Like if you're low in this, it increases the absorption of that or whatever. Sure. What happens, Kara, when someone has heavy periods to their iron? What happens? And then explain that ridiculous cycle. So it's, it, it, it's a cycle that doesn't make sense because it actually is a downward spiral. Um, and to be honest, when I look in research to find this link, it's very skim, 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 scant, scant, skim. <laughs> it's literally scant. It's not heavy. <laughs> um, uh, but it's there and it makes sense physiologically. And also I, I directly personally experience this and my patients, um, have reported back that it does make a difference that, so the cycle is. For one reason or another, you have iron deficiency or you have a heavy period. Uh, Say you have a heavy period, you're losing a lot of blood, so you're losing a lot of iron. Um, And then that iron deficiency um, will drop your hematocrit level, so the blood becomes more thin, and it predisposes you to having heavier periods. Continue, continue, continue. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So you're you're losing blood, you're losing... um, iron you're becoming anemic how tired do you think you're going to feel yeah 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 that's crazy um you know because we've been talking about iron for quite a bit now uh since talking to dr justin gallant so it's affected my practice and helped i've i think i've been able to help a lot of women in my practice uh by getting smart about iron and um i can't i can't believe that um there's this big of a problem with iron and this is, I'll just tie this. In. I, I don't want to hijack your show. This is your jam. No. Jelly? That's... Jelly? This is your jelly. <laughs> but like, uh, it's interesting how some people in the past, so I have had like a, a similar idea of this and I was talking to my mom about uh, iron and women and how like I think 90% of women are anemic um, to some degree. Yep. And she said a, a surgeon that she knew like, like a friend's dad said years and years ago like probably in the 70s or whatever that he thought he he had such a an understanding of the importance of iron in women that he thought that women shouldn't donate blood which i thought was a really really interesting uh thing to hear from a surgeon from the 70s sort of coming to not the same conclusion but like yeah let's be careful about iron and our most important demographic of our population arguably which is women of reproductive age you know from they're they're the most they're so important and so i think we really need to take care of them and so um i think us guys should be giving blood more than women for sure um and those women should be fully assessed with a full comprehensive iron panel yeah and and that's just honoring the foundations of what makes life Yep, and so it's pretty important. Layering he- like layering healthy menstrual cycles on that is a natural uh, evolution. And whether you start with, you know, that vicious cycle, you just need to start breaking it somewhere. Whether you aggressively get iron up and you also do things that reduce menstrual blood loss. Um, and then if you want to add in another vicious cycle that is kind of fun from Do a it. geeky point of view is adding in the thyroid connection to that. Okay. Tell us, tell us thyroid, iron, heavy and menstrual. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
all of those will, one of those, so low thyroid function, low iron, or heavy periods, will all worsen each other. So for example, um, iron is really important, um, sorry, the thyroid hormones are really important for to help iron get incorporated into erythrocytes or red blood cells. Iron is really important in converting uh, T4, which is one of the thyroid hormones, into the more active thyroid hormone T3. And so those two really play off on each other. And if they're both low, you're going to also feel like shit. You're Mm going to feel really tired. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can add in hormones to that. So estrogen or higher estrogen levels, which are often implicated in heavier periods, um, increase something called um, uh, thyroxine binding globulin. So it's going to bind up all your free thyroid hormones so it can't do its job. Whereas progesterone which is produced from ovulation, that key, key part of the cycle, it actually decreases uh, thyroxine binding globulin. So you actually have more thyroid ho- hormone to do its job, like helping iron. Mm-hmm. So it's just... Uh, it's like the are... stool analogy, right? Yeah. If, one, if one of the legs of the stool is out, then you're falling over. Yeah. And so women, those three stools are iron, thyroid, and menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, what other what other sort of things will we see um, with regards to possible hormone uh, imbalances and heavy periods? Is okay. it as easy as that? Like, remember, I'm just yeah. a guy. Uh, is, is it as easy as that? Is there something we can say like, okay, if you have heavy periods and your hormones are likely doing this or that? Is there any correlation like that? Often. So sometimes, no. Sometimes uh, hormones are look like they're doing, you know, the job, you know, it looks like a perfect hormone chart of the rise and the fall and the levels and the ratios. Um, and in those pa- patients, you know, we're going to look outside to other issues. So uh, things that are often missed, uh, especially in teens, are any blood clotting issue. Uh, so any genetic issue, um, something like that is often missed. Um, and uh, so that might need to be uh, worked out. Um, we're also not talking about um, well, I guess we can talk about it, but there are also some more medical issues that will cause heavy, heavy periods, either dependent or independent of hormone levels. So things like, uh, uterine fibroids, adenomyosis, Oh, polyps. speak English, Dr. Kara. Yeah. Adeno- so... Adenomyosis. <laughs> How about just like, so like growth in the uterus, mm-hmm. which often have hormonal un- underpinnings. Um, mm-hmm. um, but at that point, um, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, uh, we could do other podcasts on those things. We could. I think you were going to say like the purpose of this podcast is not really to talk about severe pathological considerations. Mm-hmm maybe you know and we're not going to talk about it but what would be the things that would make you go a little more red orange flaggy versus this or is it sort of as simple as like how we often follow yeah there's like red flags but you really just do the basics first and and see the dust settle a little bit like Mm -hmm. how what would be something um someone uh because you know people normalize their symptoms a lot right yeah they're like that's just you know like when i'll talk about guts like i'm regular i go every week and it's like it is regular. I guess <laughs> weekly is regular. <laughs> that ain't right, though. You know that, that's not optimal. So it, you know people may normalize their symptoms. What for those people that um, may think that their uh, condition is not 
medically necessary, what would you what would you say are some of the things that are making you think, okay, really get checked out sort of urgently, yeah. like red, orange flags? I would say those things are going to be part of the initial workup when heavy menstrual bleeding is quite extreme or if they're also experiencing pain or if they're also experiencing a lot of, um, you know, spotting or irregularity in the cycle. Now those might not be a fibroid, like that might be fully, um, hormonal, uh, issues. Uh, but it's worth at that point checking out with a, a transvaginal ultrasound, uh, just to see what's going on. And it actually probably doesn't tra- change treatment uh, options by too much, but it's important to know, um, you know, what's going on in there. The one absolute red flag is when I have, when when there's a woman who is after menopause, so she's not had a period for a year, and all of a sudden starts bleeding. Uh, that warrants uh, investigation um, just to see what's going on with yeah. the lining of the uterus. That's a that's an For absolute sure. red flag. Yeah. The other absolute red flag here is, um, I guess it's more not in assessment, but in management. So if we have a woman who, uh, I actually have women say, I didn't know if I should be going to the hospital for this. Like, and I hear that weekly. You know, that's how heavy that's their the periods are. That's the ones I was talking are. about, the ones that sort of normalize. So there's a, maybe a serious condition. Yeah. Sure. And um, and what what the kind of guidelines on that is, and this is what I follow, is if you're soaking a pad every 20 to 30 minutes or two pads, actually two pads, um, that's a pretty strong indicator. And the other indicator is if you are showing signs of being hypovolemic. So you've actually lost enough what does, blood to what lose, does hypovolemic mean? To lose <laughs> blood volume. And what would be symptoms of that? Maybe like low blood pressure. So low blood pressure, getting dizzy, so faint, dizzy, yeah. faint, tachycardia. So your heart rate, your heart is racing, uh, being clammy or confused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those signs of shock, mm-hmm. uh, that can happen. Um, in extreme, I would say it's not uncommon. Um, and so the, the ER will have measures to um, help in those situations. And I guess a little reminder, I always like to f- play this in, is because this a lot of this has the context of like, how healthy are you day to day in your diet and lifestyle and your, your whole life, right? Because if, if you're doing all the basic things pretty, you know, uh, astutely or whatever you're eating whole foods diet and you sleep well and, and then things start to get real sideways that's maybe different than the person who has sort of been like that all the time and eats um you know not the most healthy whole food can can you tie that in at all does that affect how you perceive someone's problem like their standard of health when they come to see you um yes and no i would say i think of the menstrual sign uh, the menstrual cycle as it's funny, I had described it to you as a vital sign and you aptly renamed it a vitality sign, which I really love. So your menstrual cycle is a really awesome place to pay attention to what's going on in your health. It's literally a every month, it's a rebirth. So every month you start over and your body can tell you something else in that cycle. So understanding what's going on at each phase and paying attention to it can give us some pretty awesome clues uh, uh, to the overall your overall health. Um, so yes, the, you know the, the, what you do in your life, your healthy foundations are certainly going to impact and benefit your menstrual cycle. 
but not always, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually suffer um, sometimes from heavy menstrual cycles. I know when it's, it's when I'm pushing and not resting and doing too much and being a wife and a mom and a business owner and a doctor and, you know, building a house and all that. And I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I'm more prone to having heavier periods. And uh, the, it's interesting. The egg that you release uh, for this cycle took about three months to mature. So it's a really good three-month window into how well you've been taking care of yourself. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't know that. Yeah. Getting schooled here. Yeah. Hmm. Um, which, which always, you know, is when I say to my patients, they're like, oh, well, I've been writing this exam. Or, you know, I've never had a heavy period, but I've been writing this exam. I'm doing this and that. And, okay, yeah, self-care has gone out the window. I can see why I have a painful period or a heavy period. Um, at the same time, I've always found... You know, where maybe why I'm passionate about this topic is, you know, I, I do have a, a history of having miscarriage. Um, I had a DNC. And actually, since that time, I've had been more prone to having heavier periods. And I've always been like, what's going on? I do take care. You know, I do eat well. Mm-hmm. I do exercise. You know, um, you know, I'm busy like every other mom out there. Um, you know, is that it? Um, and so... It's not always, a, you know, I, foundations, health, nutrition will always I- impact. But sometimes there's other things going on. And for one woman, um, I think it could be completely mental, emotional, spiritual uh, issues. It, for another, it could be, you know, hormonal issues. It could be a genetic hormonal issue. Uh, it could be a toxin exposure it could be, you know, your thyroid, or maybe you are only having a bowel movement every week. And, you know, the guts are where we uh, excrete our, our extra estrogen. If not, if it's sitting in there, it actually, you reabsorb estrogen from your poo. So enterohepatic recirculation. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to, to, to think about. And that's why I said there's no simple solution. And me with heavy periods is going to be very different from a teen or someone leading up to menopause or someone with, um, you know, a blood sugar issue or thyroid issue. There's a lot of underlying root causes that need to be looked at. Who else to get on board with uh, when you're managing a patient who's got it's sort of like a tough case. Like who yeah. who you dialing? Who whose number are you dialing uh, when you you feel like you are a tough case? So, I find this is these patients are ones that are already in the care of their gynecologist. So it's been enough, you know, and that's where I would say please come in when at the first sign of heavy periods. That's when your body is more resilient and there's more possibilities of finding, you know, it's not as acute that maybe we have the time, you know, it, this work takes time, you know, it takes at least a month, two, three cycles to get going. So uh, it's really the time when you first get the hint of a heavy cycle or things going off that it should be addressed. Don't just suppress it and say, oh, this is, this sucks. This is my period. Um, but usually the women that come into me um, are unfortunately ones that have really, they're like, okay, this is getting, I can't do this anymore. They've gone to their gynecologist and that's when, you know, maybe they've had solutions um, presented to them that they're either 
going ahead with or not happy with. So maybe we should go over some of the conventional uh, approaches. Yeah, go into that. Um, maybe like the sh- maybe the short-term re- acute stuff that you see uh, used, and maybe there's some research for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I I do think it's uh, um, you know there are some viable approaches that go from simple to final. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the early ones I see the first one I see usually more recommended from the family doctor's office, and in fact I use this approach too is prescribing uh, just a over-the-counter anti-inflammatory. So like an Advil, uh, there's one specific for heavy menstrual periods. Uh, it's called methanamic acid, uh, which specifically um, targets certain parts of inflammation um, in, in that's implicated in either painful or heavy periods. So giving... Um, how, does, how does giving an, an anti-inflammatory help with heavy periods? Seemed, so, it seemed like yeah. when we discussed it earlier, it was like, uh, what? Can you spell that out to me? Sure. I, yeah, I'm confused. I, I, I think I'm getting clear, but I've always been confused about this. And I've also been confused on my observation that women who have heavy periods, they don't tend to be painful at all. And, my, and women who have very painful periods, sometimes they're heavy, but often that's not the symptom that's bringing them in. It's the pain. So um, I'm not saying absolutely, but the pattern I see is you have painful periods or you have um, heavy periods. And so inflammation is a part of the natural process of actually triggering menstruation um, or triggering getting your period. Um, But and one of those kind of inflammatory molecules is called uh, PGE2, prostaglandin E2. And so that one, though, what it does is it um, is it actually vasodilates. And so when you're vasodilating something, you're, vasodilate means you're, uh, the the blood vessels kind of not constricted; it's dilated. I don't know. Help me out yeah, here. Yeah, they open up. Lingo. They open up. Yeah, they open up. Um, and so yeah, so so by using Advil or an anti-inflammatory, you're cutting down on those inflammation things that might um, lead to kind of vasodilation um and i think that's how it works the research again uh i don't think is super clear on the mechanisms of all of this um but uh yeah it's been shown if you take advil or an ibuprofen or an anti-inflammatory um during your period but i actually find and the studies support this that if you take it two to three days before the period is expected it can reduce flow by 30 to 50 percent which is quite significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so no, not ideal to have Advil every you know month for two to three days, but it's not the worst thing either. Oh, no, for sure. And like we, we like to be practical, right? That's our style yeah. is be practical. And most of us have something like that at home. It's fairly accessible. And if if that's what you have to do in the short term, but at the same time, you have to have a long-term plan. It's maybe. the short-term plan to, while you have exactly. figure out the long-term. Yeah, for sure. So it's practical, accessible, and I'd say it has you know, for most people, a low risk, high benefit ratio when used like that. Yeah. 30 to 50% is huge. And so I will, I will, um, I'll, I'll recommend that often. The natural, um, partner to that is ginger. There's only one or two studies on it. Um, ginger reducing heavy periods. Um, and in that study, they actually combined it with 
uh, an anti-inflammatory, um, like an ibuprofen or something like that. And do you take it all the time, the ginger, or is it something you only take like prior to your prior period? to and during the okay. days of heavy flow? We're we talking so, like a gram or two, or like uh, like pretty heavy dose. Yeah, we're talking about uh, 250 milligrams three times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so and often we need both. Like I'll do um, you know Advil and ginger. Uh, for a couple days before the period, and that does really seem to help. Um, not every woman, but some some women. That's mm-hmm. that's quite helpful. So that's usually what I see coming from you know the the doctor's office. And then the other options, the next medication approach is something called transexamina. Transexamina. Trans, okay, we're gonna. You try were struggling this with that one before. Yeah. I still can't say it. Transexamic acid. T R A N E X A M I C. The other name for it is called cyclocapron. So we're going to go with that. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, cyclocapron actually um, inhibits blood clotting. Um, And so, sorry, it does not inhibit blood clotting. Um, I was going to say that wouldn't help too much. No, it does not help. (laughs) (laughs) It's a plasminogen inhibitor technically, but it actually promotes um, blood clotting and prevents um, the breakdown of blood clots. So... Uh, just like a wound, you're going to clot up to stop the bleeding. Um, that's how this seems to be helpful. And it is helpful. It does reduce blood flow again by up to 50%. Um, it's not the greatest long-term solution. Um, anytime we're promoting clotting, it could be dangerous, especially perhaps in a woman who is, you know, leading up to menopause where there might be heart risk or uh, risk of developing blood clots. Uh, that's not necessarily a great scenario, but it, if it stops uh, excessive bleeding in the short term, uh, it is a very effective medication. Um, and then from there, there's also birth control pill, which we kind of talked about already, um, that I do see offered uh, offered often. And then we go into more, uh, sur- sorry, before surgical, the Marina IUD or a progesterone-based IUD is probably the most effective outside of surgical approaches um, and it can reduce blood flow by up to like 80 or 90 or 95 percent sorry um, i'm coming from again the space of not knowing yeah. much how do we uh do an iud when we have a, like is there any problems like inserting an iud while all this is going on or uh it seems to be very effective right. um just sounds like the whole if if, if things are sort of like uh, in trouble in the uterine, your cervical uterine health, inserting an IUD at that time is that what is that what they do? Yep. Okay. It is, and it's, and now it's interesting because the non you understand where I was coming. I from. do know okay. where you're coming from, <laughs> and I think there are some serious questions about it. But again, if it um, when we have IUDs that are not progesterone based, they actually are a significant cause of heavy menstrual bleeding. So maybe that leads to inflammation and other issues there. But when you use the progesterone-based IUD, that progesterone is directly local to the uterus and prevents, um, you know, it it offsets the estrogen, reduces the thickness of the lining of the uterus, and results in less um, heavy periods. You said uh, progesterone helps resolution of clots. Is that, did I hear that right when when we were chatting before? Um, like it helps you let me get there in just a sec when we go to hormones. Okay. And then the final things, um, which, um, are kind of 
often offered um, would be uh, an endometrial ablation, where they actually kind of take out the lining of the uterus. Um, I'm not sure what they're using uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little different than a DNC. Um, and then the, the last the last resort, but it is a resort of about one in three women, uh, is a hysterectomy. And this is all the conventional route. Mm-hmm. This is, they did not see Dr. Kara, probably. Yes. Right? And unfortunately, there's a lot of women who get to the point where I say, you know, they're at the point where they say, Kara, I don't know what to do, mm-hmm. but I feel like I don't have any other choices. And at that point, sometimes that is the best choice. Right. And that's okay. We manage it other ways. You know, there's other issues to to talk about, Mm -hmm. but that's how serious heavy periods can get. Um, And once they get to that point, it can be more difficult to manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, So what about some more like naturopathic um, approaches? Or I'm going to say naturopathic because because uh, <laughs> then the uh, <laughs> transcription is easier. <laughs> anyway, what what do you what do you think from from uh, the more naturopathic perspective? So treat the root cause. What a crazy idea! Isn't that a crazy idea? <laughs> <laughs> do a proper assessment. Yeah. So you know, I'm going to look at thyroid, blood blood sugar levels, blood regulation, um, uh, iron levels. You know, all of that stuff to set and general lifestyle to set the background of healthy hormones uh but when it comes to heavy menstrual bleeding and a natural approach i'm doing everything i can to improve ovulation and to increase uh progesterone in the second half of the cycle um and we didn't really talk about that but really briefly in the first half of the cycle estrogen is kind of building house like it's building a nice nest um in the uterus for the eventual or perhaps expected maybe uh, baby, right? So it's building a nice house. It's kind of like just doing it like, uh, you know, throwing up a house, right? It's like, here's here's like a nice little nest to build. It's framing. It's framing it. Yeah. That, yeah. Let's put the framing in, the foundation's ready. For sure. Okay. If estrogen's going crazy, it's going to build a giant house. Like she's mm-hmm. a bit of a queen. She might want a big house. So mm-hmm. a big end um, um uh, a big lining in the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have ovulation, hopefully, which is going to produce progesterone. And the prode- progesterone actually reorganizes, matures, uh, makes that house pretty and uh, organized, maybe a bit thinner, and also produces a lot of clotting factors. And so by the end of the cycle, when you start to get your period, those clotting factors produced by progesterone help what you want in menstruation is like a slow organized bleed. We don't want like crazy wildfire. We just want something that's organized and slow and uh, contained, right? And managed. Um, And so that's why the progesterone is, is key there. So I'm, you know, first of all asking is ovulation happening Um, and, and, you know, supporting progesterone, whether that's, uh, with herbs, you know, Vitex is a pretty big one there, or actually using progesterone um, as well. And so, yeah, it, it's a hard question to answer from my approach because it's going to be very different for every woman. There are certainly some acute things, um, like I've talked about ginger. There's a really good herb called Capsella that can uh, really slow acute bleeding. But really, my. What's Capsella called? Uh, Shepherd's name. Purse. Shepherd's Purse. Yeah. Yeah. 
But my long-term game plan is, is, is in a nutshell, healthy ovulation mm-hmm. is really, uh, and cutting down, uh, you know, just trying to make every stage of the cycle healthy, which is going to make the period healthy. It really sounds like if there's <clears throat> like a conceptual take home, it's that um, a healthy, not heavy period is quite dependent on healthy ovulation. Yes. Yep. That's what I'm that's mm-hmm. what I'm taking from this very informative talk. Good. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, I, you know, you learned me well. I, I, I honestly well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um I feel like that's been super helpful for um my understanding of of uh heavy bleeding and just the period in general. Mm-hmm. That has helped me yeah, immensely. I feel like I learned from these episodes as much as everyone does, I hope. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see that, you know, in conditions or stages of life where ovulation is less reliable yeah. in teens leading up to uh, menopause, menopause or in uh, a condition called PCOS um, where ovulation isn't happening. Those yeah. are times when you are more prone to getting a heavier period. Yeah, less steady in a, in a way with the ovulation. I do. I think ovulation is like a woman's right like it's 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 a beautiful awesome thing yeah we didn't talk too much about that but that's when you really you really shine uh, yeah it's time to be like your best awesome you're relying self. a lot on ovulation right now i am i said yeah. i had said <laughs> when you ovulate your face is actually more symmetrical and so <laughs> i said to dave i said nature's making my face more pretty right now <laughs> And is Which improving. you can't see on a podcast, but yeah, yeah, too bad. Um, but it's also yeah. improving my linguistic, like communication and language uh, centers of my brain. So hopefully that has come across today. Well, you said you shouldn't be as on as you are today because it was something worth celebrating last night. Yes, and I, I, I said I can't even tell because you know. So you're riding on. You're probably riding on that that progesterone uh, pretty good, yeah, um, or that balance. Maybe more precisely. It's actually but. more... Right now, it's probably more estrogen and testosterone. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But then it's going to make its progesterone. It's going to... Yeah. Yeah. But it sort of depends on today. I'm getting... Uh, yeah. So much depends on today. Yeah. Ovulation. And there's lots of things we can do to promote ovulation. And a lot of studies come out of IVF where there's a lot of stakes. You know, it's very important for women struggling. They want to make a baby and it's also expensive. So there's actually a lot of research into developing really good eggs um so that's maybe time for another day yeah we can talk about that so should we wrap it up or is is there anything else you want to um teach me and the people i think we did well yeah i think the ovulation is is like really really key uh that's that's um that's my take home and healthy ovulation means healthy periods and um of course of course there's details that yeah i think my take home i've just been getting so sad lately of the stories i hear of women who just hate their cycle and it really you know it sounds a bit utopic but it is a magical awesome thing and it can be such a great teacher and so if you're listening and you are in that space then start learning work with someone who understands your cycle and can help you yeah, it's, a, what, it's an what important you, thing. It's 400 times in your lifetime. 
you yeah. will do this cycle. So you might as well get it. You might as well understand what it means to you. Yeah, not hating it seems like we'll wrap it up with the sort of uh, tying it into the beginning when we talked about that. It just seems like um, from some perspectives, like a rather inconvenient thing to have to go through. But in, from other perspectives, like, wow, what a thing. Like the most important thing in a way. Yeah. And, um, you know, there must be some signals from your mind and your thoughts to your cells when you say that you hate your period, you hate your femininity. You know, it's like the most feminine way thing in a way, right? So, um, yeah, a little deep stuff to they end. have said it better. There's a great book. If people want to learn about that aspect of it more, there's a really good, great book called Wild Power. Who's that by? Elizabeth somebody. Okay. It, yeah. Just Google Wild Power Menstrual Cycles. You'll, you'll bring it up or we'll put a link to the show notes. Cool. Okay. All right, Dr. Dave. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for having me, me on that naturopathic <laughs> podcast today. It was yeah, a pleasure. It was fun. <laughs> Okay, take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.